Podcast. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile, here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. The Profile is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and ministry, and it's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine, that's Premier Christianity Magazine. If you would like a free sample copy of our latest edition, you can get one. Just go to our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample that's the magazine that i edit and we'd love you to have it free so head over to the website if you want to take advantage of that offer but for now here on the profile i'm really pleased to say i'm speaking to mez mcconnell mez has been involved in full-time pastoral ministry both church planting and revitalization since 1999 he's currently one of the pastors of nidri community church in edinburgh scotland and the founder of 20 schemes an organization which aims to build healthy gospel-centered churches for scotland's poorest communities he's also the author of a number of books including is anybody out there and church in hard places how the local church brings life to the poor and needy mez welcome to the show cool i'm also the director of church in hard places did you mention that acts 29 initiative i didn't mention that so church in hard places not only the name of your book but it's also a ministry out of acts 29 yeah it's a, it's a new department in acts 29 that's aims to help support guys in poor communities around the world planting churches i was really looking forward to hearing more about that and all you're involved in we always like to start here on the show though by going back to the beginning so tell me a bit about life growing up understand this was 1970s in ireland what was your childhood like yeah but tell me something about yourself first sam <laughs> so you look like you're about 12 years old oh. so, so how can you be the editor of something when you look like you've st- I haven't started still, shaving yet. I'm still trying to figure out if that's a compliment or not. Um, I am 29 years old. Do you know Andy Prime is? Andy no, Prime's one of my church planters. He looks like he's about 14. You look younger than him. Younger than 14. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I have been known to still get ID'd sometimes in the shop, so you might be onto something. And you're the editor of this gig, are you? I'm the editor of Premier Christianity. But enough about me, Mez. We're here to find out about you. No, how do you <laughs> get to be an editor of this gig at your age? I went to university and studied journalism and then got some good experience. But as I say, it's not about me, Mez, it's about you. So tell me about life growing up in Ireland in the 1970s. Yeah, so I grew up in care, largely, in a variety of children's homes and orphanages, um, largely in Belfast. Um, 70s was the sort of height of the IRA, bombings and stuff. So yeah, so it was pretty wild. Not that I remember much of it, just lots of soldiers on the streets and stuff like that, mm. but... Ended up moving over to England, didn't you? Shipped to England, yeah. Group of us shipped to England and ended up going to a big children's home in the north of England. What was that like? Ah, it's pretty cool. I liked it. Doesn't sound like the sort of thing that would necessarily be easy to navigate as a youngster. Listen, mate, I, at that point, you know, I was young and wild and just used to moving around. So, yeah, it was different. I quite enjoyed that children's home and I just got moved around a bit, a few, yeah. few times more, foster parents, etc. At what point did you start to run into trouble with the law? Uh, for, well, I got in trouble first with the law. I think I was 12 years old. Yep, and uh, I, got, it was for vi- I think it was for violence, some sort of violence. I attacked someone with something. Uh, uh, yeah, and then got into the law, in trouble with the law a lot of times after that. Why do you think that was? Because I broke the law. <laughs> but why? Yeah. What was the motivation? What was the motivation? Binek, um wow, this is like, are you sure you're not like a psychologist or something? Uh, I should be lying on a sofa for this gig. Um, what was the motivation? I was a nut job, I mean, I don't know what you mean, what was the motivation? I was just, I was wild. Sure. 
Yeah, I guess I just ask because I guess for a lot of people who are, you know, 12, 13 years old, that's not their story. You know, it's quite unusual perhaps to be, uh, you know, talking to someone who from quite an early age got involved in in crime. But for you, this this is just normal, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's quite unusual for me not to meet someone (laughs) who didn't start in crime uh, at that age. So I got into trouble with the law very quickly. uh, And then, you know, I mean, it escalated pretty wild. I was roaming the streets. At that point, on a council estate, on a really rough council estate in the north of England, sort of in and out of foster care, out with my dad for a bit, you know, while he stayed sober and that, and then back, back in and it, it was just manic. And so when I was out on the streets, I was always running, rushing around with older lads, you know, doing burglaries, getting up to no good, mugging people, stuff like that. And then um, as I got a bit older, 15, 16, I started getting very heavily involved in um, the drug scene. And then I was pretty much living full time in a squat, sort of between my stepsister's house and this squat, and just dealing and oh, just up to all sorts. I mean, my dad didn't have a clue what was going on. Um, and then, yeah, I was seriously heavy on the drugs. And then um, had the great idea to rob a bank and uh, flew off to Spain with the money and. Uh, didn't last very long there. Ended up getting arrested there and deported for trafficking offences. So then, how old were you when you had the great idea to rob the bank? Um, probably 18, 19. Right, and th- and this was your idea or this was a you and a group of friends? Or? Just generally my idea. Yeah, but there was a, a few of you. Presumably it's more than a one-man job to walk into a bank and steal... Yeah, yeah, it wasn't a hold-up robbery. It wasn't like I walked up with a gun or anything. I just went in and uh, you don't need to know what happened, but I uh, perpetrated a fraud and uh, walked out with a couple of grand in cash. Um, And then, yeah, and then I was away. I was away with it. Ran away to... And was that kind of quite deliberate, running away to Spain? Yeah, yeah, got a false passport throughout the country that day. What brought you back then? Uh the uh, Spanish police and uh, an aeroplane that I was deported on. <laughs> deported, yeah. So and they en- ended up ended up homeless in London, actually. Um, ended up homeless sleeping in Victoria Station. Right, just down the road from where we're sitting. I don't know. I don't know where yeah, we are geographically. We are literally just down the road from that, which uh, I guess must be crazy for you, you know, now as a pastor and yeah, someone who yeah, speaks at Christian yeah. conferences to be thinking the way your life was heading was a very, very oh, different direction. Wild. I mean, absolutely. Doesn't even. I feel like it's in somebody else's life now. Sure. Yeah. You can take a look at my kids now, who don't know anything about that sort of life. Thankfully, um, I mean my kids are they're posh. Uh, you know they 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 correct my grammar and <laughs> sort me out. But you know, thankfully, thanks to the Lord, because I was in an absolute uh, downward spiral. I was extremely violent, extremely erratic. Um, I mean involved in very serious heavy duty crime hurting people badly um, and then that's obviously what got me ended up in maximum security yeah so so tell me a bit about about what happened then between you being homeless in london and, and ending up in a prison well, i was just a mess i was all over the place uh, and angry at everything in the world and um i was just just out where i came i ended up back in wiltshire living on the streets there off and on and then ended up in a bar fight and um, stabbed a couple of boys uh, in the head and um, yeah got arrested got charged got sentenced 
How long were you in prison for? 15 months. Was it during this time in prison that you first had an experience, I guess, or some sort of encounter with faith? Um, I mean, I always believed in God. Um, But, you know, I thought the church was for pansies, you know what I mean? Mm. And um, definitely not for people like us. Uh, and I had met some Christians on the streets just before I came, uh, got sent to jail. In fact, they'd, they'd been visiting the streets for quite a while, telling me about Jesus and all this. But I just thought they're a bunch of dingbats. Uh, in fact, the first time I met Christians who told me about Jesus, I got arrested uh, for trying to put their car windows through and beat them up. Um, but these guys kept coming back, uh, playing football with us outside a community centre in a in a in a in a in a housing estate, and. Um, and went to jail, and then a couple of boys from that ministry actually came to visit me in jail. And then when I was due for parole, um, one of these Christian guys gave me somewhere to live. So, and was that it? Is that the rest of the story that you met these Christians and became a Christian? And yeah, my life's been perfect ever since. Your life has been yeah, perfect. I ever mean, since. yeah, my favorite <laughs> song is the "Sound of Music" theme tune. <laughs> Play it every morning. It's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'm guessing it wasn't that simple. No. Um, yeah. So I was. Um, yeah, I mean, I had no clue about Christianity. I mean, you know, I'm going back 20 years now, and um, lads where I grew up didn't have a clue about Jack. It's even worse on the streets these days, trust me. Um, uh, you know, I went to this Christian guy's house. It was all nice and clean, and he had a Monet print. Why do Christians have Monet prints? You should do an article Monet about that. Monet prints? And you to, every time you go in a Christian's house, yeah. about 90% of the time, you will find a Monet print somewhere. Really? Yeah. I don't dried, think I've ever seen that. Dried flowers or a Monet print, <laughs> some sort of fleece hanging up. Maybe this is them. a Scotland thing, because I don't think I've ever seen that personally. No. Uh, anyway, and I went, and I, yeah, I wasn't having that. And um, it was just a different So just a, like an alien, an alien culture almost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these guys sat down, had dinner and all that, and yeah. put their vegetables in a pot and... <laughs> put it on a plate man just put it straight on a plate what's the point of a pot do you know what i mean it was just weird stuff like that um never i'd never sat and apart from when i was in care i mean we were forced to sit at the tables and eat but that was more like a prison do you know what i mean um it was just weird things i went to church for the first time that was the most absolutely incredibly mind-numbingly boring thing i've ever been to in my life um in fact i would have rather have gone back to jail than go to church that's how great that was and so, because, you know, I'd never uh, never been in one before, really. I'd been in sort of Catholic ones growing up with that sort of heritage, but not where the guy, you know, they sing and they all wear suits and they stand and they sit yeah. and the guy speaks for an hour. I yeah. made my nipples it. So this is just when you've, like, just got out of prison yeah. and this kind of weird alien Christian culture that you've encountered. At, at what point, what sort of stage of belief are you at? You feel like at this point you would call yourself a Christian or were you still exploring Oh, no, it? I was never a Christian. No, not at that point. No. No, I mean, I was straight, I was out, out of jail, telling myself I'm going to get a job and be a good person and all that. But within about two days, I was back on the drugs, back hanging out with my old pals, dossing down at this Christian guy's place at night, sort of in two worlds. So it's a bit bit of a, yeah. a bit of a weird thing. But inside I, inside, I was thinking, man, I don't want to be doing this all the time, yeah. doing, the, doing the drugs. Just, so anyway, um, this guy invited me to a Christian youth weekend away camp thing. But I'm like, it's what you need to know about the working class, right? We're paranoid about everything. And uh, at the time, there was a dude on the telly called David Koresh. 
you might be too young for that crap. I know, I know of this story, but, but you tell it. They, yeah. l they locked themselves in Waco and yeah. blitzed everyone. And then uh, this is on the telly, and then these Christians are saying, "Why don't you come away to a retreat and that?" And I'm like, "Right, you were worried that that's what they." And were. I said, "I remember saying to the geezer, listen to me, like you know what I mean. I'll be sleeping with a hammer under my pillow. If you try any weird yeah. voodoo on me." Yeah. getting smashed because the David Koresh stuff was just totally nuts this was proper sort of cultish yeah but for me in my head he's a Christian exactly these yeah. dudes are Christians do you want to take you away somewhere and try and you know yeah it's completely understandable meld you your mind with weird stuff so. makes total sense doesn't it if yeah. you're seeing that on the TV and you meet a Christian at the same time right. they invite you to a weekend where you're going to make that kind of connection and so I was like like well but I wanted to get away because I was heavy on the drugs again my head was mincemeat and so I said, right, I'll come. So I went on this weekend away anyway. And um, it was interesting watching all these Christian kids sing about blood and weird stuff like that. <laughs> thinking they sing a lot about blood, these people. I thought half of them were butchers or something. Do you know what I mean? Uh, uh, but I was watching them and I was thinking, that, you know what? These, these, these lot, they seem like they're pretty happy. You know, um, they seem like they're on a different planet to me, but... They were just asking big questions. Why are we here? What's it all about? Stuff, questions we'd, I'd ask with my mates, but we usually all stoned, you know. We yeah. usually had about five bongs and were talking about spaceships under the Vatican or something. But um, these guys were talking about the big questions of life and I was fascinated by that. And so I left that weekend actually really, really interested in Jesus. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't digging the church. I wasn't getting the church thing. I didn't understand what you had to do that. But I was fascinated by Jesus. And so when I got back, um, to where I was staying at this lad's house I found a book in his house it was uh, actually a Matthew Henry commentary on the Bible and um, I thought I'll have a crack at that bad boy and so I read that and then it was reading that I got converted reading the book of Romans reading the book of Romans I mean that's pretty heavy theological stuff right? not really it was pretty it, it was pretty um, it was just annoying in what way? Well, listen, I grew up with social workers, social carers, psychologists, you know, all the trick cyclists. And um, all told me I was a victim. I was a, I was a product of my social circumstances. If I'd have come from a good home, etc. You know, and, and I loved that. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's not, none of it's my fault. Right. And then here I am confronted with the Book of Romans with um, Paul saying, actually, we're all responsible for our sin. And um, you can't blame anybody. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. We're all responsible for our sin. Yeah. You can't blame anybody but yourself. You've got to take responsibility for your sin before a just and holy God, regardless of your life circumstances. And I didn't like that. And that was what wasn't a heavy theology. That, that was pretty easy actually. But it was the it was a right kick in the nuts, as we say. It was a real body blow, and it took me a while to like. It made me sit up and be agitated really agitated at night I couldn't sleep and then that was obviously the means God used me because here's what I knew I knew I was a sinner I didn't have a problem with that I was a rat but I wanted to lay the claim for my behaviour at least it had to be on the way I was brought up then I was beaten abused all that stuff that happened to me as a kid but here was the Bible saying you can't blame any of that for your sin against God and so that was a big turning point for me and once I came to a realisation of my sin I knew I was in trouble I guess it's like um you know, when Jesus talks about haven't come to call the righteous but sinners, and if yeah. you kind of have that understanding of, hey, I know my life has not gone in a great direction, yeah, yeah. the rest of the gospel just sort of fell into place, did it? Easy. I mean, it's easy. Once you get past that, and that's the thing on the streets, it's easy. It's easy to get guys like us to understand we're sinners because we know we're rats. But what's not easy is 
culturally there's such a victim mentality in our culture it's just so difficult that's the uh tim kellerism you know the cultural defeater if you like um in in middle class circles educated circles i'm sure it's sort of more sort of dawkins hawkins sort of postmodern pluralism sort of atheism do you know what i mean but in our circles it's not like that people mm. have got a fear of god or the spiritual realm they have no problem that they're sinners but they, they they won't take responsibility and that's that that's where rubber meets road with the gospel so how did your life change from that moment on it's beautiful i mean after that i used to float down the, the street and, you know <laughs> I feel like that sarcasm's come back again man. oh sorry uh, the angels sang um <laughs> they probably did, actually, did to be did fair to be, theologically they sang theologically they did so you know yeah. look nothing really i, I remember I, I was sitting there i was like i got converted on a part bench on my own no, nobody around me right I'm sitting there, I'm like, um, dear God and that. Not I mean, I'm a right rat bag. I won't say what I said because it was probably full of sweary language. And um, do you know what I mean? I'm going to trust Jesus, whatever the heck that means. Amen. Um, it's not exactly, you know, the sinner's prayer. And um, I ran this fellow up who was witnessing to me, good godly guy. I said, listen, I think I've become one of those Christiany people like you. And he, <laughs> his face now, when I think about it, was a picture. He's like freaked out. He's like, really? I said, yeah, but... Is there some sort of prayer thing that I've got to do to get in the club? Like, <laughs> and uh, so he sat and prayed with me, and um, I was waiting for some sort of burst of light or some chorus, but nothing. I didn't, you know. I read these testimonies of people that I, I felt like the burden was lifted, and I slept like a baby. Well, I didn't, so I didn't feel like a burden was lifted e either. Um, so I was just paranoid, thinking maybe, maybe God's not going to accept me because. I just kept remembering, or it was the devil, kept prompting me, remember when you did that, remember when you did that, yeah, but what about when you did that? What if these Christians find out what you really did? And you, you mugged that person, you did that person over. I was just always on this edge that, man, I think I found this life, that this thing that I'm going to love, but they're going to take away from me when they find out what I'm really like. So I was really paranoid for a, for a, for a good while. She's not great in testimonies, is it, to say, yeah, came right. to Jesus, but I got more paranoid. Hey, we like honesty right but here. It was, um, so so it, it took a time, but then this guy met, I went, and I started going to church. Church was just so alien to me, which is ironic now because I'm such a big champion for the local church. But initially, it was just like, the guy would get up and say, you know, the, you know well, we know from Abraham or blah, blah, blah. So many cultural systems. I'm like, who the heck is Abraham? What's that? What's this? What's the, I didn't have a clue. What's yeah. the big number? What's the little? I did nothing. I remember when someone was once in a Bible study, they first become a Christian, and uh, the person leading the Bible study said, right, if you'd like to turn to John, and the person started looking around the room like, who's John? Yeah, exactly. Not, uh, not a clue. And it's not like these Old Testament guys had cool ne good names either, do you know what I mean? Ezra and all that. It's not easy. It freaks you out. So, so there was a bit of that, but what happened was this mature Christian in the church got alongside me, and he met with me almost uh, a few times a week, and we just went through this... Um, basically like creation to Christ type course of the Bible. And it was amazing. I just banged questions at this guy. I just fired it at him. Just, you know, um, and he was just patient with me, calm with me. When I look back now, I must have been an absolute, you know, because I was very like, aggressive. Do you know what I mean? I was like, be ringing him up at three in the morning going, what the effing heck is this in the Bible? What's that <laughs> about? And I'd read Deuteronomy about something and he just like, yeah, be calm. And, <laughs> so he was very patient with me. Yeah. And, um, and then not long after that, I thought, when I was I was back on the street witnessing to my pals, but I didn't know anything other than, listen, you lot, you're, you're scum. We all know we are, right? Yeah, yeah. Get yourself to Jesus. Let's go to church. 
And then um, I thought, you know what? And then somebody said to me, you probably, in a passing comment, you probably ought to go to Bible college and learn more about the Bible. And I'm like, what is a thing for the Bible? And he's like, yeah, what, well, you can go and sit in a place and learn about the Bible all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, that is mental. I, <laughs> right, I need to go to that place. And what was your education up to this point? I had, I mean, I, I went to a grammar school. I, I, uh, old 11 plus, I got into a grammar school. Right, yeah. Old 11 plus, you know, so I was, I'd, I'd, I was smart, but, but dumb. Um, smart, but dumb. Well, you know, I was so angry at everyone, so angry at the world, so angry at things. I thought, well, you know what I'll do? Screw you. I won't even try. I could do these exams in my sleep, but screw you. I'm not even going to try. I'm right. going to screw the whole thing up, thinking to myself, yeah, I'm showing the world. Well, really, I was screwing myself over, but at the time, yeah. you, would, you wouldn't have sure. told me that. So I'd gone, when I got out of jail, I went back to, um, went to college and got, got, got a few extra um, GCSEs, and then I did an access course, which is like a A-level type course for uh, mature students. And then, um, so I had some qualifications. Yeah. And then I, 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 I applied to Bible college. I'd been converted nine months. And I got into Bible college because of a typo, that's no how I got in. Because obviously I went to an interview in a Bible college and I was rough, right? Tell them about Jesus, I'm gonna do this and learn the Bible and that. And then they, they, I think the guys at the time said, look, because I think it was 96 I went and they wrote and they'd, they'd sent a letter to the college or whatever, to the secretary saying, right, this guy can come, but make it next year, make it 97. But they had wrote 96. So I turned up on the day, first day with my new letter, my little bag of goodies. What are you doing here? I'm like, here's my letter of acceptance. And then, because they're like posh people, don't like to be put in a corner, do they? So <laughs> they had to take me, because you know what I mean? I had the thing, I had the, I had the letter. Had so the they, piece of paper in so black it, and white. Aye. We've got to, we've got to go by that. And the so it, it was, word. yeah. And so it was. Uh, in <laughs> so hindsight, in. my first year was wild. I don't know. Fair play to that college for putting up with me, because <laughs> this is Morelands. Yeah. I wasn't going to say it so they didn't feel like they want to be associated with me. <laughs> <laughs> I was wild back then. I mean, I was, I was nine months out of a maximum security to a Yeah, that's pretty, that's a a pretty quick turnaround. And, you sure. know, we, I wasn't used to debate. People say, no, you need to do that. I just like, I'll punch your face in, mate. And obviously, guys weren't sort of used to that level of discourse. But <laughs> I had a great church going, but you can't say that to people. I'm like, yeah, but he's a dingbat and I'm going to headbutt him. You can't. <laughs> people here and I used to look, looking in the Bible for is there a, like is there a verse in the Bible that says you can smash idiots and stuff because like if I've only there was right no well I'd read judges like go and murder everyone and do people and I'm like well he gets a bash why can't ah, I, I see. get right yeah you understand but you were laughing but you're reading it like that you're thinking well, he got you got he to did kill it. people I'm, he I did it why slap the guy about a bit I don't want to hurt him that bad but it was explained to me that you know the nuances of Old Testament literature. <laughs> so it was wild, but you know, Mullins was good to me. I mean, yeah. they, they they were very patient with me, Mullins. Yeah, I have to be honest. I guess when a lot of people go to Bible college, the, the next sort of logical thing after that is some form of. I hesitate to use the word ministry, but you know what I mean. Yeah, because yeah. we're all called to some form of of ministry, yeah, yeah, whether yeah. we're paid for it or, or not. But what was the kind of the plan after studying, and, and what actually ended up happening? I didn't really have a plan. I just wanted to go on the streets and tell people about Jesus. I just wanted to be a bit more clued in on what the crack was. And then I got there and I um, really took to to study for some reason. Um, I mean, I really took to it. I was really pretty decent, handy at it. Ended up taking a job, actually, leaving college. I was, as a student, I was studenting at a 
a Baptist church uh, down the road, and I ended up taking a job there, and it was an absolute disaster, an absolute train wreck. Um, I almost shipwrecked my faith. Why? Uh, well, because it was a very quite well-to-do church, and like the elders were all like lawyers or businessmen, you know, you, what you, elders usually are in the UK for some reason. And obviously I pitched up. I'd been quite a good student pastor for them, and then they gave me a job as an assistant pastor, and um came very clear very quickly that guys like me are good for testimonies but we're not very when it comes to leadership the, these guys weren't equipped um, to be looking at a guy from my background on an equal footing uh, and um, there was there were several problems the pastor came in was an absolute nightmare I threatened to knock him out in his front garden which probably didn't help but I did repent after but um, he, he was not an orthodox Christian at all um, and in the end I resigned lots of politics going on I found out that do you know what I, I'd be king of the streets I'll take you to town in the streets and in jail but these guys at the top of churches they've got a whole new level of politicking and uh, and so I left walked away from the church walked away from uh, not from Jesus but from just going to church for time I just promised myself I'm, I'm never going back uh, so it was a really, and, and looking back, you know, look, I was young. It was my first time there. They handle it badly. I handle things pretty badly. Look, 20 years later now, you know, looking at the me from 20 years ago, you would handle it a very different way. And so, mm. you know, there's not, not one side's particular fault. Yeah. It's just but you don't look old enough for that to be 20 years ago. Thanks. Appreciate that. It was 20 something years ago. But... Were you even born then? <sighs> We're back to that okay. You brought the old age thing up, kid. So. Well, I just thought I'd get one back at you. Oh, but, right. you know, so don't, because that'll just... It, just, it could just it descend. Just, it just encourages me. It could just descend into yeah, all sorts of nonsense. and I'm very bad for this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I understand um, at some point you, you ended up in Brazil yeah. ministering among street kids, which yeah. sounds amazing. Yeah, so yeah. So after that, I was saved by an old Welsh guy. I was saved by Jesus, but after that period, an old Welsh guy called Stuart Ollier. I can't remember how I got in touch with Stuart, through someone anyway, and I went and did a, studied for a, uh, like an MA at, uh, what was the old Brinterian College, it's now called West Union, now called Union, in Wales. Um, so I went there, did a bit of study with them, he sort of taught me back into, back to the church, went and worked in a church in Birmingham for a, about 18 months while I was preparing to go to Brazil. And then uh, my wife and my two young girls, we went to Brazil, uh, went to the Amazon initially to for language school and then we ended up planting a church in just below the Amazon in a city called wow. San Luis with street gangs um, yeah it's wild you're listening to Premier Christian Radio with me Sam Hales I'm in conversation with Mez McConnell today you can hear the rest of our conversation right after this it was 50 years ago when young missionary Jackie Pullinger left London and got on a boat to Hong Kong, determined to share God's love with those in need. Miracles followed. Now she's challenging the church to get on with the job. My message is always the same. It's how to get us sure enough of God's love so we can go out and share it with the lost. Read the full interview with this inspiring evangelist exclusively in Premier Christianity magazine. This is very short life and eternal life is forever. We're going to feel all stupid if we wasted this one. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample.
Good news, we've slashed the cost of subscribing to the UK's leading Christian magazine. Now you can read news from a Christian perspective and interviews with fascinating leaders for half the normal price. That's 12 issues of Premier Christianity magazine for less than £20. Plus, take out a subscription and we'll enter you into a prize draw to win £200 worth of new Christian books. There's never been a better time to subscribe. Go to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. Today I'm in conversation with the church planter and author Mez McConnell. In the second part of today's conversation, I started by asking Mez whether his own background helped him when it came to reaching out to Brazilian street children. Look, I don't know. Um, maybe. I mean, I look back now, we were nuts. I mean, <laughs> me and my young wife, she comes from a very, very settled middle-class home, parents in the church, grandparents, ministers, stuff like that. Um, my babies were six months and yeah. 15 months old. Jumped in the Amazon with loads of street kids. I mean, we took them in the car with street kids and the gangs and that. They'd be all over the place. It was wild at the time. So maybe, maybe, it, maybe it did. Um, I didn't go to Brazil to plant a church. It was, right. I'm an accidental okay. church planter. And what what happened? Interestingly, what led to my absolute firm conviction that what the poor need most is healthy local churches was my time in Brazil. So I was working in a orphanages for a while. Went out there, the usual street gangs, homes, da, da, da. and I was just watching this roundabout, in out, in out, in out, in out. These kids, I'm like, what, what is this doing? This isn't. It's looking great on newsletters. It's looking good on Facebook updates, but these kids are in and out, in and out, and, and getting murdered. And so I, I, I became very disenchanted very quickly with that approach to the problem. And so we right. wanted to... That, and this is a sort of, what, charitable approach to the problem? It's not or? that it's a charitable. I, w- I would call it... We, I called it direct action. What okay. I mean by direct action is like crisis management. As you go in, there's a, there's a crisis. Let's resolve the crisis. Not, let's not worry about all the details of what... Let's just meet the immediate need quickly. Yeah. And so because there's so many of them, there's 10 million street kids in Brazil. Just to give you an indication, there's more street children in Brazil than there are children up to the age of 18 in full-time education in Great Britain. Okay? That's a lot of street children. And so it's a crisis. And so there's just... And so what you find with a crisis is you're not really doing anything strategic. You're just meeting the need and need the need. There's ones right. out, ones in, ones out. And I'm like, look... Yeah. And as a product of that, as a product of being passed about from pillar to post, it's very unsettling yeah. and not good for so you. So you felt like a kind of longer-term solution was local church? Well... No, not even at that point. At that point, I'm thinking, we got, what are we got, where are these kids coming from? And so I began to study, where are these kids coming from? And we found it came from a particular community in the city, very poor, you know, worst road access. All, all the other, you know, some of the roads had tarmac, this road had nothing, just craters, all that stuff, no healthcare. And so I said, we, why, why don't we start a project there at the source? And if we can, so we set up a little business for the moms to try and earn some money so the kids didn't have to go out and prostitute themselves. We set up a doctor's surgery. We set up a dental surgery. We set up a football school. We said to the kids, listen, if you go to school, you can come and join this football club. We'll give you a kit and boots and da da da. I mean, 
school attendance shot up like 400%, (laughs) right? So we did all all these things and I opened a Saturday club. And then what happened was all these people were getting converted. Surprising when you preach the gospel. And weren't worshipping. We didn't have anywhere really to worship. And so what happened was a church just grew up out of it. And then I began to see, hang on a minute. (laughs) I have not seen this before. Actually, the church should be at the heart of everything that we're doing here. And so that's why I would call myself the accidental church planter. And then I just began to see, when I, particularly when I came back to the UK, lots of charity, food banks or kids clubs or things that are, are, are good in and of themselves, but actually are not helping um, our communities in the long term. Yes. I want to talk lots more about this because this is something that clearly really... Uh, motivates you, I guess. Um, and annoys people for some reason, who I think don't <laughs> understand what I'm saying. Right. Well, let's try and unpack some of that, because as far as I can understand it, you, you believe that much of the church has kind of farmed out evangelism to parachurch organisations, to Christian charities. Um, and your your line, which you've written, is that then when they get a catch, so when the parachurch organisations, the, the Christian charities get a catch, the local church leaves them rotting on the shore. I like that one. Your word's not mine. Yeah, but did you like it? What did you think about that one? I'm afraid as an impartial journalist. You're not I, impartial, uh, though, are you, son? I'm doing right. my best. Here's the thing, right? My point is that most evangelism being done in council estates that don't have gospel churches, because some have gospel churches, let me be clear about that. Very, There's a lot of guys in council estates with small churches struggling. I mean, struggling out there. And we need to, you need, you need to give those guys props. But the massive majority particularly in in, in Scotland and the north of England, where there's just reams of estates, hundreds, millions of people living without access to a gospel church. Lots of ministry is being farmed out to parachurch organizations, food banks, CAP, uh, after-school clubs. You know what I'm saying, right? And so what happens is, well-meaning, Jesus-loving Christians, and I'm not questioning motive, I'm not even questioning that it's a bad thing, but in isolation, on its own, these things are not helping us. What you're doing is, it's like the street kids. You're trying to solve a problem through crisis management when what you need is a, a broader solution. And so what my point is, the best mercy ministry is a healthy local church. So if someone says, right, I've started a ministry, the food bank or a soup kitchen or whatever in this estate, and I'm a pastor of the church. And I'm like, right, okay, but what, what's the long-term strategy? Yeah, you want to show the love of Jesus. I'm all over that, good. But when you preach the gospel, what happens? People get converted. When they get converted, how am I, as your pastor in this church, going to help you facilitate the discipleship, integration, and equipping for service of these people? Mm. What I'm saying is most churches just hand it over at that level and don't even bother with the discipleship aspect. Right. So, so to give you an example, though, okay, let's say that someone becomes a Christian through something like CAP. You mentioned Christian Against Poverty, yeah. you know, with the debt advice. And yeah. you know, I've spoken to CAP, and, and they're very keen to point out this is this is not just us helping people through job clubs, but, you know, we are Christians against poverty yeah, in yeah, our yeah. face at the centre. Yeah. And, you know, you and I will both have met people who have become Christians through that ministry. And your uh, concern is at that point they're not finding their way into local church? Yeah, my problem isn't with CAP, you understand? Sure, or yeah. with people who are doing... My problem is the local churches yeah. and or pastors that do exist are not helping the situation. The best mercy ministry is a healthy local church. Look, poverty is not... A, we're not naive enough to think that poverty is a one-dimensional thing, right? My church, the 
vast majority of my congregation will be on some form of antidepressants, have some form of underlying mental health issues, will have been a huge 90% or more been sexually abused, hiring men, all right, in, my, in our communities. That's a fact. It's not spoken about, but it's a fact. Now, a food bank with someone who's hungry is... It's a good thing at the point of need, at the point of crisis. That is good. It's a long-term solution to poverty. It's not good, is it? Mm -hmm. You would agree? Sure. Right. Now, uh, that, so let's say someone comes in through the food bank and they get converted. Now, that, that person goes where? Well, this is my question because you would, you would assume, and maybe yeah. this is the wrong assumption, yeah. that there's Christians working in that food bank. Yeah. And who go to local churches, yeah. who can see this person become a Christian yeah. and would invite them along to church. Yeah. And there would be a local church on the area who yeah. would look after them. But yeah. you're saying that's not... I'm happening. saying there's no churches in our communities. Right. That's why I'm planting churches. That's why we're doing 20 schemes. Now, here's what generally happens. Well-meaning Christians, if someone gets converted, you're right, would be Christians in those f food banks. We'll take them along to a church or their church, normally out with that community. That's where cultural assimilation comes in. That's when we're a guy, or that's, this is Bob from the food bank. All of a sudden, no one's saying it because Christians are dead nice. There is a massive cultural assumption about Bob from the food bank. Everyone thinks, ah, well, let's pour Bob from this food bank. So already Bob is on the bottom rung of the, on, on the, bottom rung of the ladder. Already right. he's got socially a mountain to climb to be seen to be anywhere near the level, right? That's the first thing. The second thing is the, the middle-class church is absolutely appalling at discipleship. It sucks, right? That is a fact. And I'm talking about conservative evangelical church, which I'm a part, I'm not speaking for the broad church that I don't understand, but the, the circles I move in, mm -hmm. right? Awful. You know, a midweek Bible study and maybe a, we meet for coffee now and then. That is not a discipleship model that's going to help Bob, who has a raft of problems. Maybe he's got an underlying mental health problem. He hasn't seen his kids for a while because he used to knock his missus about. Do you understand what I mean? He's paying fines off because, you know, he's been in trouble with, with the courts and stuff. So the food's got him in the door. The food's got him to, the spirit through the food has got him to Christ. And now he's in a church. And uh, invariably, churches who are poor at discipleship and don't know what to do with Bob, can't handle it and so i get a phone call every week without without fail a phone call saying oh we've got so and so they've been saved from throughout delete is applicable our church isn't really geared up for these sort of people will you take them and I, 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 we, we take the waste and strays that's my issue with the right. situation <clears throat> that it's if a guy says to me oh mez i'm thinking of starting a, a food bank in my church my first question is why well show love of jesus brilliant why you want to tell them about jesus yeah then what are you going to do with them? Hmm. What do you mean? What are you going to do with them? What's your strategy for discipleship? What, yeah. do you, what do you mean? Don't start a ministry. Don't give us bread and then leave us starving out the other side. Hmm. That's cruel, isn't it? And I can yeah. tell you from but 20 it's, years' it's experience, it it's doesn't It's interesting, work. though, you use that example of a church wanting to start a food bank. Because a yeah. moment ago, you were seeming to suggest there aren't uh, churches in where the problem is the greatest. Yes. There aren't a lot of churches yes. in the middle of, yes. the, of the housing estates. Yes. Listen, mate, here's what generally happens. Many, 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 many churches, evangelical churches now find themselves often, not, it's not true, London's just a different beast, all right? Thinking of the north of England, thinking of Scotland, okay? Not that London's a different beast, but many churches will these days, because the boundary changes and gentrification, will straddle a middle class and, and, and a, a historically at least working class community, a council estate. And so one of the ways that these churches, usually most of their constituents, 
come from the more middle class. Mm -hmm. Food banks, caps, blah, blah, blah. These are all ministries that this church will do into that council estate in order to make contact with it yeah. because they don't know how to relate to them. Yeah. I'm saying that is a poor and dangerous model on its own that it, that is not helping yeah. not helping us in the long term. So what you'd prefer is yeah. if that church started a church plant in Correct. the in the council housing Correct. estate and run your run yeah. your things. I'm not saying don't have them. I'm I if people say why do you hate the poor? Which is hilarious given my background, right? Get a grip of yourselves if that, if that's you. I love the poor. International aid and development community split relief into three areas, right? Crisis intervention, rehabilitation, and development. Crisis intervention, let's just say a tsunami sweeps over. We've seen that on the telly. You're not sitting at home going, should I give them Bible or should I give them bread? It's a crisis. You're getting in there. You're helping people. But the second part of that aid is called rehabilitation. So there's a point in where you've, you've got in, you've got the medicines, you've got the food. The crisis is sort of being calmed down a bit so rehabilitation is how do we help the community participate that's a key word in getting their standard of living back to the pre-crisis mm -hmm. that's called rehabilitation but the third level is called development and that is how do we help these communities exceed where they were before where they were in a participatory manner most food banks cap these sort of things they mainly operate at, at stage one years after guys should have been helped through stages two and three that's my point right. because lots of it is cap aside lots of the handout ministries are non-participatory and i and that that that's another key factor that keeps that actually keeps the poor down mm. and i will say this largely unintentionally so you say you know you get this criticism you, you, you hate the poor I mean, this might be a whole other can of worms, but you're, uh, like many people, myself included, you're on Twitter and you're engaging with Christians in that world. And I know... Which is not helpful. Well, I know fairly recently, you know, you've, you've had the guts to say, oh, maybe I got this wrong and maybe my tone's been wrong. And you've, you've kind of, you've kind of uh, apologised. And I know um, before, though, you've said that um, any critique of the status quo, which I guess is what you were just doing, is sometimes dismissed as making trouble or having a chip on the shoulder. Um, so, so how much are people dismissing you is because you've got the tone wrong? And how much of it is you know them having a problem look i am a sinner i'm also an idiot the best of times i think i think a lot of this is the sin a lot of it is my sin i'll admit that but i think a lot of this is culture particularly around communication how middle class people communicate is baffling to me uh sometimes and i've been observing the culture now for nearly two decades all right um and you know, we can be both having the same, we can both see the same film, right? At the cinema. Or listen to the same sermon in church. And so your friend asks you, what do you think of the sermon? And you can go, well, you know, I thought it was interesting. You, you didn't like the sermon, but I thought it was interesting. It had some good points. But you hate the sermon, right? They ask me, I'll say, I thought it was crap. I hated it. Now, I'm rude and uh, obnoxious and whatever else you want to call it. Whereas you, who just lie to them, called it interesting in points, da, 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 but you didn't mean that. You meant it was rubbish. Are fated as the height of good manners. And and so in our, our culture looks at lots of Christians like this and think they're just lying to us. So how can we trust what they say? And your culture looks at us and goes, wow, these guys are incredibly aggressive and rude. And so uh, I think there's some of that going on. Other, always, uh, as well, Twitter is not a great medium for that. Sort it's not of a thing. great medium for any kind of deep discussion. No, no. And, and a lot of the things you've just said, you know, this is deep stuff. This is about how we do church, how correct, we reach people. Correct. 
It's and not. so often I'll, I'll, I'll send a thing out and some people are like, sometimes if I'm honest, I'm doing it because people are winding me up and I just want to get a rise out of people. That's sin. Um, other times, um, I'm trying to genuinely engage with people. Um, I do find it incredible that um, as soon as I do talk on these issues, that the, the, the middle class church just swarms mm. and... Um, yeah, I, I, I'm fascinated as to why that is. I was talking yes. to a black friend of mine in America who um, we, we were talking about the, 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 the similarity between the issues of race and class, uh, class in the UK uh, 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 and race in the States. And it's surprising when they, they say something in there as well, it can be inflammatory. Um, although, actually, um, I'm not interested in... This, this will sound unusual or hilarious i'm not interested in class class is not even a biblical construct for a start um i'm interested in injustice that's what that what's at the heart of this and that we think more clearly about the poor because for some reason the middle class evangelical church has convinced itself that it's loving to give people from our communities free stuff i just am baffled by it because the free stuff isn't enough, they need the gospel? No, because as I've just explained to you, the free stuff on its own is hugely damaging. This isn't about an either or. You know, the, should we give them bread or should we give them the gospel? Is You know, you realise it's only an intellectual middle class debate. It's not being had in our communities. The Pinek, you give them bread. You get Jesus as well. It's, just, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating theoretical debate that drives me nuts. <laughs> I'm not making a video going, well, I've got a loaf of bread then, I've got my Bible. If someone walks up here and they're hungry, I'm going to, what should I give them first? You know what I mean? I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them everything. I'm going to give them the clothes off my back. These are guys who are leaving my house. I give them, we give them everything when we give them Jesus. There's no, it's a false split to me. Right, it, yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. But I'm just saying, why don't we all stop for a minute and think about these ministries we're doing? And how much good are they really doing? Because we've been doing this for a long time now, the church, 20, 30, 40 years, right? Show me the healthy working class churches with working class leaders. Show me the guys like me, theologically trained who are speaking out. Mm. Where are they then? Where are the rest of my guys? Yes, I know you've spoken about this before and it does make you think, doesn't it? You think, well, yeah, I can think of lots of people who have, you know, become Christians from Correct. a work-class background, but I can't think of many leaders Correct. from and a working-class background. And many, many middle-class people say, well, I'm working-class, and I'm like, what do you mean by that? Well, I, I was born on a council estate. All right, I'm cool with that. You still live there? Hmm. The answer is almost invariably is yes. no. So yeah. why are you telling me that? So their defense mechanism is, well, I'm working-class. I'm like, that's not the point. The point is you're not there now, though. You've yeah. left. Yeah. And, 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 and the church is largely hmm. out of... Not, not anywhere near huge swathes uh, of yeah. our community. There, there does seem to be, though, I'd say in fairly recent months, even years, I mean, you've, you've run a conference on this whole subject, you know, for Christians to try and get our head around some of these problems that you've identified. But I can think of other parts of the church that have, that have basically agreed with what you're saying. The, the Bishop of Burnley talking about how we've neglected yeah. the poor. Even Nicky Gumbel talking about how he wants to start planting churches yeah. In council estates, yeah. and with the greatest respect to Nicky Gumbel, he isn't often the first person people yeah. would think of when it no. comes to planning into that kind of a context. So it does yeah. seem that parts of the church get this. Yeah, but let me tell you, let me ask you another question, because this annoys me, right? So some bishop of something, some dude with a skirt, did this months ago, um, 
made it, it was it him, it might have been the Bishop of Burnley, I don't know. But anyway, someone made this big thing about the church and the council estate, and I got really irritated because he was fated as a prophet. Wow, listen to this guy. And then Tim, Tim Keller come over and says something, and everyone's, oh, it's amazing. Mm. And, you know, Nicky Gumbel, wow, wow, wow. I've been saying this for 20 years, mate, but mm-hmm. apparently I have an attitude problem and a chip on my shoulder. That's a problem, no? goes back to my earlier question of how much of this is because of the way you say it, that you haven't been heard. But I'm a guy from those communities, saved from those communities, but my opinion is vastly less valid than these mm. guys. There's, I mean, this is a whole and other... A fa- and that's a fact. Well, it's a whole other debate, isn't it? And I'm not saying this is right, but there is a culture, whether it's in the Christian world or the mainstream world, where, well, if you're a bishop and you have a title, or if you're some of those names you mentioned, you've, you know, you've sold X number of books, then you have a greater platform yeah. when you speak. It gets reported more... No disrespect to yourself. As I say, you've planted churches, you've written books as well. But when yeah. it comes to how well-known you are in the wider Christian community, yeah. I think that seems to count for something, doesn't it? I'm not saying no, that's right, I, but it seems to be the way listen, the world's set up. Listen, evangelical Christianity is unbelievably elitist. Two decades saying exactly the same thing mm. that an educated un- Oxbridge sure. University yeah. dude says, and he gets yeah. fated as a... Should it matter who says it as long as actually the church changes? Uh, yeah, it should matter who says it. That's that. That's a lovely thing that the majority culture says to keep down minority guys. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Say it long. We're saying it now, so hush, hush. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, does it matter who points out the problem as yes. long as the problem gets addressed? You're saying it does matter. Yeah. yeah, I think it matters for a couple of reasons. I don't. I think at, at the general level, I'm great that the bishop and Nicky Gumble and all these guys are going for Catholic states. You go for it, fellas. I'm, I'm all over that with you. Um, but it matters that those of us who come from these communities have faced the battles through these communities over decades. It matters that we're listened to, Mm. that we may actually have something to contribute to enable the Nicky Gumbles, the bishops, the whoever, to do it better. Mm. We may have something to bring to the table other than these paternalistic, well, it doesn't matter now. We've got it. Don't worry, we're going to do it this way. and we're going to, we, we might actually be able to help you say, well, you, you might make a mistake culturally doing that. And that. Mm. Even over some of the issues we just talked about, language, the way we talk, yeah. things like that. So I think big picture, no, it doesn't matter. But actual, when you get mm. to the nub of the details, I think it matters a lot, yeah. What's been the best day of your ministry and the worst day? Um, what's been the best day of my ministry? The best day of my ministry was when my girls two different days my girls got baptized they stood up in the pulpit and they said uh hiya uh, my name is gave their name and said and uh we were brought up in a christian home and i was absolutely in tears it was emotional because it what's another interesting thing about middle class christianity is they think this what i do is sexy i'll swap my testimony for my girls in a heartbeat for the trauma and uh, there's nothing more powerful to me in my life than hearing my girl say that which surprises a lot of people they think it's something else the worst day in my life my ministry um probably um there was a few really bad days in brazil at one point i think we were losing a child a week being butchered murdered and um, i never quite got over to seeing babies dead in the street and just left the rock so there were Mm. Quite hard days, yeah. yeah. What keeps you going on the on the really hard days of ministry now where you feel like you're not getting anywhere? Uh, I do feel like I'm getting somewhere actually. I feel like there's a I feel like there's a change. So there aren't any bad days. Well, there's there's tough days, but you know, I have a good I have a good wife. 
Um, we've been married 20 years, great marriage, worked hard at that. Um, I've got a good church, good elders, yeah. good accountability as well. People who tell me when I'm being a knob, you know, when I should shut up. Uh, obviously, uh, I didn't mean that in the sweary sense. I meant like a butter. I don't think we're buying that one. <laughs> All right. In the US, they're called projects. In England, they're called council estates. And in Scotland, they're called schemes. And your yeah. organization is called 20 schemes. Yeah. So why 20? My, not my organization, but my church's planting ministry. Right. It's not a separate. It's not a parachurch. Okay. Oh, we've talked a lot about parachurch. It's so I guess. church I planting ministry of church. Nidri Community Church. Right. The church planting ministry of Nidri Community Church. So why do you have an office in America? Because I'm an international man of mystery. Uh, uh, for, for money. And also the office in Scotland is... I thought you were joking when you said for money. So well, that's basically fundraising in America. Fundraising in America and a partnership with a church in America. And so it's, an off, it's the same principle. It's run out. Mm. So our, our ministry, both here and in the uh, US, is overseen by local church elders. Right. But really everything that happens in America is about fundraising for fundraising what you're profile, doing. Yeah, because no one in, in the UK gives us, will give us, churches will give us money, England's. England and Scottish churches are, are terrible, so we... Get Is there a like support. a sort of England-Scotland divide going on there, or...? No, I just think that, um, yeah, we weren't really bothered um, I mean, it just, coming it, that much into England. We're, I'm very, we're very clearly a ministry for Scottish house schemes. And but it, just, it just seems bizarre to me that you'd have to go all the way to America and set up an uh, office to fundraise in America because no one in England will give you any money for what's going on well, in Scotland. Well, do you want to go back to what I just talked to you about elitism, snobbery and injustice? So you did try to get money from England? Mate, I've been doing this game 20 years. I can tell you for a fact that every single grant-making organisation that I've applied to uh, has turned me down for two decades. So tell me a bit more about 20 schemes, um, and particularly this number 20. Well, we wanted to go for the number of digits we felt Jesus would have had. 10 fingers and 10 toes. <laughs> okay, good, great. Right, we'll move on then. Wonderful. Um, so I'm told that it's actually to do with the number of uh, schemes or housing estates you wanted to plant churches on, but I'm obviously wrong on that. I wanted 50. You wanted 50. wanted 50. Somebody talked me down from 50 because okay. it originally, originally was going to be 50 schemes and someone said that might be a bit high and went down to 20 for some random reason. Lack of faith. No, not on my behalf. Anyway, so we went, just went for 20. It's a random number, I know. Um, and yeah, I can't remember now, but I did want 50. How would you describe your calling? What does that mean? How would you describe what God's called you to do? Was well, there something specific about God's what commanded God's me to go to into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples? So my my question was: there is something more specific that God's called you to do that's more specific in some way than the Great Commission, or an element of the Great Commission that you particularly feel like is is your remit? Not really. No? I don't know. I mean, I don't think a bit like that. I'm just, I just listen. I I love Jesus. I love the lost. I love the local church, and that's what I want to do. Make sure that pe millions of people in our country who are going to hell, if they've been overlooked, have access to the gospel and a healthy local church where they can grow and be um, useful uh, in, in kingdom work for the Lord. Mes McConnell, thank you very much. Sam Hales, thank you very much, kid. Wow, that was a little bit different, wasn't it? Thank you so much for joining us on The Profile Podcast. It's been great to have you. 
I was going to say there's lots more interviews just like that one. But to be honest, I think that was a bit of a unique conversation, uh, certainly for me and I think for Mez as well. If you want to check out the other conversations we've done, there's over 100 interviews now available right here on the Profile podcast. So I hope you get a chance to look back at some of the great conversations we've had. And the good news, of course, is that as we go into 2019, there is loads more great conversations still to be had I'm really looking forward to sharing them with you. From all of us here at Premier, we're wishing you a very, very happy new year. Thank you for downloading and enjoying the Profile podcast. Please do share it with your friends. And if you get a second, why not give us a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. And don't forget that this show is made possible by Premier Christianity magazine. That's the UK's leading Christian magazine. If you would like a free sample copy of our latest issue featuring an interview with Jackie Pullinger and loads more great content, just go to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. For now, time for me to sign off. Happy New Year, and we'll see you next week.